We should move the show to Wednesday. Since we moved it to one o'clock, we should move it to Wednesday so that uh, we can do the whole Mike, 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 Mike. Guess what day it is? And I would just look at you like this because you probably get that all the time. I when the year that that came out, I also spoke at a youth camp that summer, and oh. when Wednesday rolled around, and ever since I've been out there on a Wednesday, that's all I hear. Yeah, I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's a burden we we bear, and on top of what my wife teaches my children to sing at home, I don't know if you caught that video on my Facebook page. I was it the? I think you texted something to me about that. Maybe, but what Michael she, Michael motorcycle. Say? Have yeah. you ever heard that one? I hadn't. Yeah. No, that's you rough. Hadn't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it's worse to be a Mike or a Karen nowadays. <laughs> uh, well, right now it's worse to be a Karen, but historically it's worse to be a Mike. That's just, yeah. Uh, well, every Karen I've met has not been like the the pejorative term Karen. Right. I've never met um, a mean Karen. Anyway, we're live, Mike. We're live. I figure we'll yeah. just chat for a little bit while some people start <laughs> to go on. This is our new time uh, because Mike is going to be joining the program, uh, stepping in for Luke. Um, for a couple days, and um, we're grateful to have them. So you have things at 2 o'clock or 2.30, so we decided to move the show from 2 to 1, and here we are. We can't go back in time, so we have it from 1 to 2. There we go. I like it. So, Mike, we, we got a pretty hot topic later on that we're going to talk about, but before we do, you have not answered the six questions that we give every single guest. So, Mike, we're going to start off with those six questions. Are you prepared? I've lived for this moment. So, you know, like Lou, you watched the last couple of episodes. When I gave these six questions to Lou, man, I, uh, I, I, I regretted it. Bold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> bold. so, so Mike, tell me what song would you play on your, my, MySpace page? Thankfully, I don't have to describe to you what MySpace is. We're about the same age. So I'm sure you had one. Yes, absolutely. So, Actually, a friend of mine that I grew up with and my best friend in high school um, had two options for me. First, he said whenever he saw me, he had the crest, the crash test dummy song in his mind whenever he saw me walking towards him. The song that goes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, there was a boy. You know that song? Do you know that crash test dummy song? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, so, that, so it would either be that one or because I always walked through the halls of high school with a with my hand in my pocket. This is I'm going to regret this with with Alanis Morissette's song. Uh, one got one hand in my pocket and another one holding uh -huh. up like a peace sign. So mm -hmm. I would choose so crash that you, you walk around high school with a with a peace sign all around high school uh, with your hand in your pocket. <laughs> that or flicking a cigarette. So, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Coming out of the boys' room. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, Mike. So what is your favorite movie, and why is it God's Not Dead? 
Um, well, it's God's not dead because it is probably the best example of apologetics that we have ever seen. And as I was telling you earlier, we are uh, we have Kevin Sorbo on our elder, you know, elder team by proxy or mm. uh, you know provisional eldership. So mm -hmm. um, I, I just cannot think of a better you know way to express. Uh, Christianity than a movie such as God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead 2. I mean, it was so good that we need to extend it. I um, have not seen God's Not Dead 2. Neither have I, but it's awesome. <laughs> By the way, I like the coffee mug. Thank you. Did you did you use that for today just because you know I'm a big Office fan? Yes. Uh, everything I do is for you. Uh <laughs> Thanks, Mike. So uh, on <laughs> the third question is you can choose only one, The Office or Parks and Rec. And Mike is sipping his world's best boss coffee mug, so I'm going to assume that's The Office. So if it's The Office, between the two shows, do you who's your favorite character? Oh, my favorite <laughs> It's super hard to choose, but I would say... Um, for, for Parks and Rec, between between Andy and it's pretty much Andy and Parks and Rec. Oh, I could see, I can see that. It's, it's just by far. Um, although Nick, off, um, Ron Swanson is right there, very close, very close second. And then in the office, um, I love Kevin. I just love Kevin. Um, <laughs> like my favorite, <laughs> my favorite Kevin thing is uh, when. Holly comes into the office and she thinks he's slow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Was that only a single episode or was that a couple episodes where she thought he was um, mentally handicapped? I think they extended it through a couple episodes, but the bulk of it was one episode where he asked her out on a date. And yeah. Like that was the season finale or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you frame it that when like when when you frame it that way, it was all of a sudden like, wow, he maybe he is mentally. Handicapped, maybe. You know? like, <laughs> um, yeah, Nick Offerman's Ron Swanson is my favorite character between the two. I mean, he oh, is just yeah. no, I, I, I can't disagree with that. It's solid. It, and the the ironic thing is that the actor is is pretty left like he's he's pretty liberal. Um, but he is as conservative as it comes, but from a libertarian slant on um, Parks and Rec. What is your preferred Bible translation? English Standard Version. Okay, moving on. Very good. <laughs> Got that one correct. What's worse, the first or third Star Wars trilogy in chronological order? They're su such a so close. I'm. I'm good. I, I know most people are are saying the third, but I go with the first, merely because of. I don't like the special effects in the first ones. They're just very difficult for me to get around, and how different everything looks. Mm -hmm. Like everything looks just more even high tech in the first three than they do in the original three, which is yeah. understandable. But it's almost like they overplayed their their visual effects uh, sophistication. Um, plus, Jar Jar Binks just totally um, colors everything for me. Jar Jar is the most underrated character. I'm just kidding. I, I was going <laughs> to have your opinion, but I was going to strongly disagree with you in my heart. 
Yeah, he was a terrible character. Um, <laughs> what George Lucas was thinking, I don't quite know. Um, Mike, do you believe in aliens, Bigfoot, Nessie, and or ghosts? I didn't until some insider military Israeli guy talked about how we all, all the governments of the world know about aliens. And so now I'm starting to think because it came out of Israel and they're the chosen people of God. And so they can't, can't possibly be wrong about this. So wait, where, wait, where did you get this from? My wife or somebody sent me a link about this uh, Israeli ex uh, government official or military guy that says, that the United States and Israel have had contact with aliens. Wow. And this was like a YouTube video? No, it was an article. Oh, okay. So do you, do you believe everything you read, Mike? Absolutely. Especially when it's on the internet. Yeah. Former okay. NBCnews.com, source of all things uh, true. Um, former Israeli space security chief says extraterrestrials exist and Trump knows about it. Man, that sounds pretty, uh, that sounds pretty solid, man. That sounds like a good source. Mike, moving on. <laughs> well, I got to uh, answer Mark, Mark Wolfington's uh, question. Okay. Will my dog make an appearance again? And that's a no, because ever since she refuses to not pee and poop on my office carpet, I don't bring her to work with me anymore. <laughs> She refuses to poop. She, yeah. Poop, poop on your. Right, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So before before we get into today's topic, thanks Luke for acknowledging that Mike is out sarcasming me today. If our out sarcasming is a word. Um. Hey, here's a wonderful book, Mike. Have you read it? I have not. Flowers I don't think I don't read anything about flowers. Okay, so I don't read anything it, about flowers. It is Spurgeon citing Thomas Manton in drawing thoughts and devotions based off of those things, um, based off of Manton's exposition of scripture. Uh, it is a great book. It has been incredibly beneficial for me throughout this year. So I'm actually going to do something really unique. Um, one of the things that when I've given away books here on the show, the most difficult part is for me getting to the post office to mail them off. It's a real pain in the neck. So I've decided to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to give away uh, one copy of this book. If you subscribe to Patreon, we will, if you subscribe to Patreon today, today, under um, any of the memberships, I will send it to you via Amazon. That way I can get it to you quickly. I get Amazon free prime uh, shipping. So uh, up to five people. Yeah. So uh, the first five people today to subscribe on Patreon, you get a whole lot of extra content. Um, Mike's not a member. He hates Bible banter. So, um, but those people who really enjoy Bible banter are members, including Richard Waters, who is like the the, the head. By, he's the president of the Bible Banteronianite fan club. And um, so we pretty much just talked to him on our off air show. We call it the tailgate special. Um, but if you go to Patreon Bible banter, you can subscribe there and I will send you a copy of this book via Amazon. See, I totally thought you were going to say, I will scan the book into my computer and email it to you, which is where I thought you were going since you have trouble getting to the post office. And then I was going to tell you that that's illegal. It is illegal, which is why I'm not doing it. 
<laughs> Boom. <laughs> Try to be above board here. Uh, but if, yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, Mike, what are we talking about today? Um, how to interact with people that have a different basis of truth or standard of truth or starting point for truth. Is that kind of what we're doing? Wow. I'm glad we're not getting a grade for this show. <laughs> <laughs> Three of five might not watch again. <laughs> so, um, so what we're talking about, this this kind of stemmed out of a conversation we had last week. And, we, and Luke had brought up us talking, I think it was Luke who brought up talking about how to engage the LGBTQ community as Christians. Uh, I thought that that was a little bit too narrow, but so we're going to, we're going to address that, but also just people who have a different worldview than we do, which is most people. It just might not be as a parent. Right. So, um, so we're going to try and navigate that conversation today, Mike, uh, mm. with that said, and we're going to try and do it with grace and kindness. Uh, we're not going to do like what Luke did last week and refer to them as the alphabet community. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, very, very hateful. We, we, we do not condone things like that. We don't. That's actually why he's not on the show today. So Luke got suspended uh, for one show for one day. Being on the comment section is giving me new appreciation for Mike's trolling abilities. Yeah, because Luke isn't very good at trolling, apparently. So um, Listen, I'm yeah, just better Luke's at not on the show because we can't trust him to say things uh, <laughs> or not to say uh, inoffensive things. Yeah. Luke, Luke, I'm just better at total depravity than you. Let's just face it. <laughs> um, so, Mike, how how can we engage people who have a different worldview than we do? I thought you had the answers. That's why I wanted you to talk about it. <laughs> Wait, I don't know if you're being serious or if you're being uh, <laughs> or, if, or if you're being sarcastic. I thought, <laughs> yeah, Maybe we should have done a little I'll bit more. I'm being um, well. Let me give you a, a little example because when we we chatted about this, I had the uh, recently had an experience with with a guy that I've been trying to that I've developed a relationship with uh, through the church and through some people in the church, and he's just an awesome guy. Like when he stops by or when we're near each other, we, we end up um, chatting for at least a half an hour minimum, just because in most areas, we think alike, with the exception of um, religion and social social responsibilities, specifically the, like how we view traditional marriage and, and this, that, and the other thing. And so as I'm talking to him and I hear like his arguments for um, for why he views things this the certain way, it can't, comes to me. I'm like, how can I engage this guy when the reality is he is just coming from a different source of truth? He doesn't have the same foundation uh, that I have. And so how do I talk about things that I find are true when they're based in a document, so to speak, or a realm that he doesn't necessarily find truthful. And I don't necessarily have the time and he may not even be interested in having um, an apologetics course from me, <laughs> you know? And so I, I've come to the conclusion, I haven't 
this hit me towards the end of our conversation, so I wasn't able to to you know ask him right there. But in all reality, we my thought is I need to ask him what is what is your standard for truth? Why do you make formulate what basis do you formulate your beliefs and understandings about what is uh, socially, ethically, all of these, what, all of these things, what makes them true for you? Like where, where do you base those things on? All right. So, uh, so um, here, here are a few principles I like to use, Mike. Some, some practical things. Um, cause I, I, I engage with people all the time who have different, uh, perspectives and points of view, mm-hmm. largely because I, I try to engage my community through, like, I, I serve as the chaplain to my disabled veterans hockey team. And we got like, man, close to 70 or 80 guys that are on there. And many of which like we're, uh, before and after hitting the ice. I mean, we're sitting around the parking lot, um, you know, talking and chatting and a lot of these guys are going to have, we have some similar perspective or, or values like you and this other guy might have, but we come at it from a different perspective. And oftentimes there are opportunities for me to share the gospel. Um, you know, we have guys that probably have alcohol problems that have um, different religious beliefs and, and whatever it might be. Uh, so, so I'm going to say no to to what Bigford and uh, Luke both just said. So Nathaniel said, how to Eric yell at them. Mike make fun of them. <laughs> Luke said, isn't it obvious? Threaten them with hellfire. Uh, so <laughs> I do none of those things. <laughs> I do none of those things. Um, but trying to see the questions that are present in their lives, that they're looking for answers and seeing how the gospel works in the midst of their curiosity or in or in this place of absence that there is so uh, it's not an easy thing right so i think it i think you have to be very fluent in the gospel that's something that's a term that i think uh, jeff vanderstelt coined gospel fluency you have to know how the gospel applies to your life and the lives of those around you what is the good news right so the good news is the, the restoration of uh, and reconciliation of our life with God through the work of Christ. But how does that play out practically? And someone who is abandoned and an orphan, that might look very different from, from somebody who um, has gone to war or combat and struggles with post-traumatic stress. That might be very different from someone who um, was sexually abused. It could be very different for someone who's grown up in the church their entire life and seemingly, you know, had the white picket fence kind of life. And it could be very different for someone who um, is homosexual or uh, is has gender dysphoria. So you have to look at that as kind of like a ninja and think about how does how can I help navigate this um, this situation and point them to Christ? How can I be, you know, bringing them to Jesus fully knowing that um, in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit has to work. You can only do so much. So a couple things. One, I think we have to be humble, right? So, um, and maybe Mike, maybe you can speak a little bit to the importance of humility in having these kinds of conversations. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was going to say first, so what you're telling me in being a ninja is there's no easy one size fits all. There's no like right. canned, canned discussion, canned evangelism, or even, even apologetics, like memorization that you can walk through that'll fit everybody every time for all circumstances. Well, the Christian life is one that's not only spiritual and emotional, but it's also intellectual. Like we can't, we can't put the intellectual, you have to think about the faith. And I don't mean intellectual in that you have to go to seminary. I'm talking intellectual, in which you got to be in the book and you have to be studying how, um, how God's word speaks to different circumstances. And now how do you share that with other people who are going to disagree, not only with your conclusions, but also with where you got those conclusions, how you came to them. Right. So you have to be flexible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where the humility comes in is the willingness to be um, flexible. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the will, uh, the willingness to, um, you know, not necessarily seed ground on, on uh, important areas, but also feel your, your audience out as to what they can accept and when. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and also having the humility that they might not get it right away. They might not be, this is a long haul, um, long game. It's more of a marathon run um, than a sprint. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so the humility is also knowing that it's ultimately not up to you and I to argue someone into seeing things the way that you and I see things as well. We really have to be, uh, praying daily, momentarily, um, never without ceasing um, to the Lord to prepare ourselves as well as prepare the hearers. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure that, you know, whenever you're interacting with somebody, you're, you know, (laughs) whenever we, um, I find whenever we interact with people, regardless of whether you hold on to Calvinist reformed theology or more Arminian theology, we all are kind of secretly or if not outwardly wanting to be uh, more reformed uh, with people, because I think we all pray, Lord, do something in this person's heart, whether through your spirit and through me, you know, uh, we want you to go before, you know, prepare, much like God went before Israel into the promised land. And said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna subdue these enemies, and you're, you're basically gonna back clean up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're gonna yeah. come in, and so that's the humility is re- remembering that um, number one, we're all sinners in, in in the hands of a gracious and just God, uh, and number two, He is the one that goes before us, and three, uh, we we really rely on His wisdom in in you know, interacting with each other. And I think Moose is, is right on point. And I t- keep telling our, ch- our church this is rather than having answers all the time, you know, ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a, a woman in my church that was wrestling, that is wrestling because her grand, one of her granddaughters is wrestling with, you know, whether or not she thinks she's a, a girl or a boy. Um, and so I'm gathering resources and I said, you know, at the end of the day, these resources may or may not be helpful to, to you in this situation. 
Um, and I'm willing to sit down with her if she's comfortable and you and, and, you know, but the reality is we need to listen and we need to understand before we give any answers. And I said, the reality is you need to sit down with your granddaughter, not try to convince her that she's a girl necessarily, especially at these beginning stages, but ask, what are you thinking? You know, not, not an accusatory, like, what are you thinking? But more of a, you know, what's going right. on in your mind, your heart and, the, you know, what, you know, have any experiences painful or good in your life that have led you to, to ask these questions of yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's good, Mike. And I think the asking people questions instead of being accusatory is so incredibly important because we are so, I think we can be really um, reactionary. When we hear someone who says, like, listen, I'm 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 gay or, you know, I'm the opposite gender or whatever it might be. And we immediately or, or we can often immediately go into attack mode. Right. Well, let me tell you why you're wrong. And um, you can have in the back of your mind, like, OK, I know that they're wrong. Right. But can you first show compassion towards that person? Like, mm-hmm. imagine, Mike, how difficult it might be for someone who is attracted to the same gender or thinks they are the opposite gender than what they were born with. I mean, that must be a, a something that is so central. To, and, and, a, and one thing is that we have made as a culture, sexuality, um, something as to not something that we do, but it's so core to who we are as a being. That's what we've accepted culturally. Mm-hmm. And, We've gone away from who we are really as a core, which is a people made in God's image. So somehow that there, there's a distortion there of God's image in this person that can only be restored by the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we have to kind of get to the core of hearing someone as to why they feel the way they do and all the difficulties that come with that. And it's messy, right? Like it, it can be extremely messy. It can be extremely hard. Um, and and at times we're going to want to affirm their feelings, affirm like how difficult it might be. But somehow in the middle of that, try not to affirm that lifestyle as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So someone who's say an alcoholic, you might affirm, you know, there's a reason why they're an alcoholic. So you might want to affirm the feelings that are under the surface as to why they are in this place, but not affirm that alcohol is the answer to cure that problem. Mm. Um, so that that's very, and that's a slow process. That's a process that, that bears a lot of emotional toll um, probably on that person, even more than yourself. And, and I mean, it's a privilege to have those types of conversations with people. Right. Yeah. And I think that that is, I would venture, although I have, I've never preached or taught on this, but when Paul says, I, I try to be all things to all people, that's really a practical example of it. He's not saying become an alcoholic <laughs> or he's not. No, sorry. If that was your ver- life verse uh, to be an alcoholic, that's not going to work. Um But what he is saying is when you're talking to an alcoholic, understand the alcoholic before you you share the gospel, you know, or as you're sharing the gospel, you know, understand the your audience, understand, try to understand who you're speaking to. 
so that you can speak into their their life. Um, and it always that. comes back to Christ. It exactly. always you're all what you're trying to do is figure out how can I bring this person to meet Jesus, knowing that you can't do it on your own, knowing that the Holy Spirit must be working in the middle there. So you must be prayerful before, during, and after these encounters, and 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 praying that the Lord would work mightily in this person's life. Yep. And and let's be honest, even if we screw that all up and we do as like, you know, Moose says, most assume Christians will just point out the sin and preach at them. We shouldn't do that. Uh, the reality is God can use whatever measly attempts that we make to share things. I mean, I think of, you know, the way of the master and Ray Comfort, you know, you know, he records his videos with Kirk Cameron um, and, and, you know, goes through like, have you ever stolen? That means you're a sinner. Have you ever thought lustfully? That means you're an adulterer and, and on and on and on. Um, and that works sometimes, not because that's a great necessarily way to do it, mm -hmm. but because God is gracious to use our, <laughs> mm -hmm. our uh, fallible attempts. Um, and so that's where the humility comes in is that at the end of the day, Lord, take my measly offering and may it, may it arise to your, to your throne as a sweet savor of sacrifice, of me trying to, to, to share your kingdom with people. So, Mike, let's uh, let's take this kind of a slightly different direction, right? So, so in talking to people like with same sex attraction, with um, mm. transgenderism and all that, we talked about humility. We talked about it being a privilege, being careful in how we talk, affirming e affirming their emotions, but not how their sins coming about, right? In 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 the middle of that conversation, and always pointing them to Christ, or always prayerfully seeing how we can bring this over. Um, into the gospel. Now let's talk a little bit about what Luke just shared um, about eight minutes ago. He said, today I got a letter from a Jehovah's Witness offering every member of my church a special copy of the Watchtower. How should I proceed? Now I believe the Watchtower is like their periodical, right? Um, so so let's talk a little bit about that. And I'll actually give you an example because I had some Seventh-day Adventists attend my church for quite some time. Um, uh, not to right before COVID and they'll probably come back attending the, our church after COVID. So I kind of have a little bit of experience in this. So I'd love to get your thoughts on how would you engage um, the Jehovah's witnesses? Well, first of all, I think we need to realize that uh, Luke needs to repent for requesting. They send that information. <laughs> Absolutely. Luke is always in need of repentance. Aren't we all? As well. <laughs> Oh goodness! Um, how? Should, yeah. In, in a way, you, you need to respond the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, my initial reaction would be like, "Feel free to send the material," but outside of that, I don't promise any further interaction with my congregation. You can have further interaction with me. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll, 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 I'll be honestly, I'll be honest. I'd probably ask them to send it so that I can have material that I don't have to pay for. So I can share people with error. For example, I remember one Sunday I, I shared, well, this is what Jehovah's witness believe about Jesus and this, that, and the other thing. And uh, a lady came after church and said, well, I don't think they actually believe that, that mm -hmm. Jesus was, is Michael, the archangel. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's your interpretation. And pastors tend to, you know, do that sometimes, you know, give their spin on things, which I was like, no, but I wasn't about to. That was one of my more gracious moments. Um, so I went out and found a mailing that I received from the Watchtower Association, unasked for, unlike Luke. Um, they just send me stuff without asking permission. Um, you know, and it said right there when it, it said Jesus. And then parentheses, Michael the Archangel. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of definitive. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I, I okay. <laughs> anyway, but I also didn't go and say, here, you're wrong. I'm right. Repent. Uh, you know, I was, you know, um, that's for a different time, different uh, context to, to share that type of thing. But uh, the reality is, you know, people that are in error, no matter how clear the error is, we, we need to approach with humility as well and realize that, especially for Jehovah's Witness, the one thing that Jehovah's Witnesses do well is teach their people their propaganda. Mm-hmm. And so they have a whole litany of reasons to believe that they have, and we cannot just go at it and just say, oh, well, you're not thinking. You're not a thinking person. Uh, we yeah. need to have humility and realize that they've been been indoctrinated for quite some time so so i'd probably take a similar similar tact although i heard when i when i read what luke said i was thinking like they were gonna mail the watchtower to members of his church like to their homes right so right Right. that that's different i guess so this is what i would ask the jehovah's witness if it was like a person if it was one of the jw missionaries i would invite them into my office. I'd invite them into my office so that we could have a conversation. And I'd ask them if we could have a long conversation, maybe over the course of a few weeks or a couple of months. And just to kind of hear their pitch, hear what they believe, hear what, hear from the horse's mouth, what they're, what they're doing. Cause I'm looking at these folks as unsaved persons mm-hmm. that I have had a captive audience of sharing them the gospel. And I'll tell them that if, if you give me something to read, I will read it. If you read whatever I give you to read. Mm-hmm. And and that's the approach that I would take. And if at the end of those conversations, if they can convince me of of the value of these things, um, then I'd be happy to allow them to to give these um, these magazines out, these periodicals out. So that's that's kind of the way that I would try to handle that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had. We had a couple, I alluded to this earlier, but we had a couple, um, great couple, man, super nice folks, but they are, um, they're Seventh-day Adventist missionaries and they go to a local SDA church. They came to our church. So they go to SDA church on Saturday. They come on Sunday. Um, they appreciate our services. Our, our um, they, they love my preaching. They love the people. Um, and then they started like someone accidentally gave them I don't say accidentally without my knowing someone gave them a directory and they started asking people to um, if they could come over for dinner and give them the pitch for their missionaries. They were looking for missionary support. Um, and, and there were some things that they were doing humanitarian wise HA stuff um, that I thought was really good stuff that we wanted to participate in. But myself and the deacons, we got together and we said, Hey, um, we kind of got to put the kibosh on this because of their beliefs, because of the SDA connection. But also, I don't want to see them leave. Like, I want to see them come out of the SDA church, and, and um, I'd love to see them 
you know, renounce that. And we had a great lunch there. The husband, myself, and one of my deacons, and we're talking like, listen, we're not again, we're trying to figure out how we can help you guys, but it's hard to help you guys with these set of beliefs that the SDA has. And Mm -hmm. we have a local Advent Christian pastor who left the SDA church and he is adamant the SDA is a cult. Like I, I, one time I had lunch with him and he's so against SDA, like it's funny. Um, so it, that was an interesting way. Now we, um, you know, they, we kind of lost connection a little bit through COVID, but I'm hoping that once, you know, once things get back to normal, that they'll come back and um, it'll be a blessing for them in our church. So it, we got to, you know, we, we got to have those two voices, one to call the sheep and one to protect them and, and to scare the wolves mm-hmm. away. We want to be careful, but also share the gospel with them. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, <laughs> Well, I think it was, I can't remember if it was the week that I was that my predecessor in 2010 left for his other church and I was kind of doing the interim thing, or if it was a week after I became the official pastor of, of Blessed Hope. Um, I had a nice woman come and sit down to chat with me and she gave me a book. It was like a, a new book by and about Sun Young Moon. And uh, for those of you who don't oh. know Sun Young Moon, is he's uh, the leader of the, the oh, what's the name of his, their church, the church. But anyway, it's a cult because he believes that uh, when Jesus ascended, uh, that uh, um, he didn't complete his work but that he would be reincarnated in other people and that Sun Young Moon was the reincarnated Jesus to complete the work of, of Jesus or something to that effect. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't really know much about this. I knew that they were called the Moonies, but I didn't, and that they claimed that Sun Young Moon was Jesus or the second coming of Jesus uh, to some respect, but I didn't have enough detailed information. I wasn't quite sure what was happening, but um, it's remarkable. The Unification Church. Thank you, Mark. Um, uh, Mooney's Unification Church. And uh, it was just fascinating because um, I'd never, a- I always remember growing up hearing about them, but never actually met somebody that believed these things. And there are lots of wild ideas out there. I remember a couple years later, I had a guy <laughs> come into my office and I, I handled this a bit better because he was asking if he could come to my church and if I would baptize him. Uh, and, uh, he's, and, uh, I, so I started asking him questions. I was like, well, first of all, you're welcome to attend. And I would encourage you to attend, especially before I baptize you. I think we need to get to know each other. And I was like, well, why do you want to be baptized? And he's like, well, I want to lead in, in a, in a church. And then as I'm talking to him, I come to find out he's married to a Wiccan. And he also said he wanted to be, uh, baptized uh, because he thought it was the right uh, step in his ordination process. And I'm like, oh, who, who, who are you ordained by? And he's like, I don't know. I have the printout in my car. <laughs> oh. Uh, and, uh, and so I had to go through the whole process, um, you, know, uh, you know, sharing the actual gospel with him. And I said, well, baptism is not just a step in a process to anything. It is the def, you know, it is a defining characteristic of what we already have committed our lives to. Um, mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with ordination or anything. And so, um, 
you know, I, I could have just been like, how dare you come in? You know, you know, you've got such a bad, you know, definition of baptism and this, that, and the other thing. When in reality, we need to be saying, okay, you know, ask questions of where, where are we at with all of these things? Um, mm -hmm. And using it as an opportunity. I mean, we never, I never saw the guy again, because oftentimes when you don't give people what they want, they'll just move on to the next, uh, right. the, the next purveyor of religion. But mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, when we talk about things like this, it's always interesting because I remember, you know, some folks I think can stay away from the church because they the there's so much on there's someone who's not raised in church, and, and I say this being someone who was in this situation. I remember when I first entered into the church, I had no idea what to say. What I did know, what I didn't know, I had no idea how to act. I had I had zero knowledge base, right? So I think the the faith, the Christian faith can be so overwhelming for people that sometimes when you have someone who's not a believer or maybe they're a new believer, they're they're gonna ask or say some things that you just kind of go, What in the world where'd that come from? You mm -hmm. know? And I think that we need to be careful to not have this reaction of like, wow, you're so dumb, right? Because, because they're not like, it's not that they're dumb. It's not that they lack intelligence. It's yeah. that um, they're coming at something from a different perspective than what you or I might come at it from. And, and sometimes the longer that we've been in the church, the more, I guess, uh, the more removed we are from the unbeliever in their line of understanding how they think through things. So we need to be humble. Okay. We might have a lot of knowledge about the truth of God, but they, they just have a different knowledge base than we, what we might have. So we want to introduce them to the truth. We want to introduce them to Jesus. Um, but we want to be gentle about it. That doesn't mean that you accept sin. Right. Um, but what is that? What does that look like? So it's, Something we need to be humble about that I think I think we can move. I, I try to move more quickly against sin within the church than outside the church. Mm -hmm. um, I am more harsh with people inside my church than outside my church. Uh, if a guy on my hockey team tells me that he's cheating on his wife, um, which has not happened, by the way, but if he did, um, I would handle that very differently than if a congregant told me that he was cheating on his wife or um, a, a wife on her husband, you know, mm -hmm. um, because within the church, we, um, you know, of course that, that is sin and there needs to be repentance and there there's forgiveness, but it's one of those situations where you go, where's the repentance, you know, okay, you cheated on your spouse. Now, what do you, how do you feel about that? Right. <laughs> you know, like, do you think this is an okay thing? And right. if in the secular world, you might think it's okay. I'm going to be less harsh with that than someone who's standing in my office telling me, well, what's the big deal? It was just one time. It happens all, you know, I go, what the heck's wrong with you? You know? Um, so, so what does it look like to be humbly confident? Cause we are confident in our, our understanding of scripture of Christ of the, of the gospel and all of these things, but we need to, show humility. So, so what does that, that look like to be humble, but also very confident in our understanding of things? 
Yeah, that's um, so I don't think that humility is the opposite of confidence. I think humility is the opposite of arrogance. And I think that arrogance is misplaced confidence. So, so I think you can have a humble confidence in knowing this is what I know, but saying, so humility or arrogance is, I think the manner in which you express the knowledge and the truth. Mm-hmm. So if you're confident in the knowledge and the truth, do you, do you express it in a humble way right. in a, or in an arrogant way. I actually have a book right here. Humble Orthodoxy by Joshua Harris. <laughs> oh, how the oh how the tables have turned over time, huh? Oh, how the tables the turns have tabled. <laughs> I know that makes me so I was going to say I was going to wonder if we were uh, deconversion stories fascinate me and his he was a sovereign grace guy yeah he was very popular had that book on on um dating goodbye yeah and he went on an apology tour that i think pretty much destroyed his faith wow dude i'm looking at the praise for humble orthodoxy names like d.a carson russell moore tulian chigvidian who's also kind of fallen from grace a little bit um Mm. jason meyer Wow. Well, that's sad, man. But I've heard it's a good book. I haven't read it yet. So maybe I'll have to read it. Uh, it's really short. It's less than 100 pages. Maybe he would have stayed in the faith if he wrote a book a little bit longer. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Mike. Well, what else do we got? Well, it's interesting. Moose has a has a and Josh have good questions in terms of what if they are not saved and attend your church. And my immediate thought comes in, and the, and what I'm about to say is in a perfect world uh, that things work out as I think they should work out perfectly. Um, I think an, an unsaved person in your church. I think that's where formal church membership is actually important. Mm-hmm. Not, not because we are necessarily saying you're in, you're out, we're big jerks, yada, yada, yada. But um, how do you gauge in a church who is a Christian and who's not? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because someone can just come and show up. I've, I've said this to our people. I've said, you know, the reason we have, whether we do it well or not, exactly. You know, whether you, we do it well or not, and I would say we are on a growth uh, pattern for doing church membership well. Um, you know, if someone can just show up on a Sunday and say, hey, I'm a Christian. Hey, I'm part of you. But, you know, really membership should be a mutual agreement of, of authority, of accountability, of submission and all of that and expectation. Uh, there is no other that I'm aware of uh, entity that has some sort of membership that you can just say, "Hey, I'm one of you." <laughs> Except we kind of we, we we treat the church like that. So, um, Mike, I think we have to differentiate from really what you know. One of the things that came out of the Reformation. So, this is something that um, evangelical churches have embraced really for the last four or five hundred years is the differentiation between the visible 
and the invisible church. Mm-hmm. So the invisible church are, are those who throughout all time are united to Christ and part of the people of God. Um, the, uh, b- according to the work of Christ, based on, based on faith and grace, the visible church are those persons who, who are standing in front of you on a Sunday morning, who are there, who are part of your church membership roles. Now, what we've embraced for the last 500 years is that the pastor and the leadership, and depending on your church structure, whether it's whether it's elder-led, congregational, government, or whatever, that church is responsible for other members of that church. It's one of the reasons why, like, like where I'm at, we have people who are on our church membership role who haven't attended in probably five or 10 years because they've moved away or whatever it might be. So we have a a, 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 an inactive list, right? So we move people to the inactive list. Um, so what, so all that to say, what do you do with the unbeliever who is a member of your church? Well, first off, you got to figure out what, how do you know that they're an unbeliever, right? So let's assume they, um, they say, Hey, I, I don't believe in Jesus Christ anymore. Well, that's really simple. Um, first off, you do want to you want to find out why, right? Are they are they in a state of of severe doubt? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to forsake Jesus, but they've come to a place in which they've just they they can't believe anymore. Like that, like they like this is just an absence for them. And you go, okay, that's a little bit different than someone who says, "I don't believe Jesus," and I'm walking away. Now you want to hold on to them as tightly as possible and try to win them back to the gospel. Mm-hmm. But you do have to formally remove them from your church membership list, right? Mm-hmm. I love how Mark Dever puts it. Um, I think it's Dever, or maybe it's in Lehman's book right here, Church Membership. I encourage everybody to read this book. Um, and it, it's the idea that a church member, you are essentially giving them a visa. They're a member one way or like they're they're either in the kingdom or not. And there's just, there are certain things you uh, and even Calvin writes this as institutes. Like you, can, you can't know for sure if someone's in the kingdom of God um, because mm-hmm. you don't know their heart a hundred percent. But you can um, look and see: is do they do they believe? Do they say that they believe? Is there evidence of repentance in their life? Is there fruit of the spirit? Is there fruit of that repentance? So if you have someone who um, is is repeatedly sinning against, um, you know, other people, um, continually sinning against God, continually walking, then, then you have to have that conversation, potentially institute church discipline and put them outside the church. That is, you know, that's something that should be done over the course of several months or, or over a year or more. It should not be done hastily. Church discipline should be done very slowly, carefully, lovingly, gently, um, yeah, I think Tim Keller one time was asked that question. Um, how do you do church discipline? And he said, not too fast, not too slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm going to err on one side, to be honest with you. I'm going to err on the too slow side. Uh, me, too. Right? Um, me too. I don't I don't want to put people out of the church like like that. I want to um, give every opportunity for repentance and faith, every opportunity for repentance and faith in every step of the way. It yeah. should be a, it should be a very long process. But again, like in our church, we're really we, we put together a membership committee. We're really trying to revamp revamp how we do 
church membership. So um, we, we're actually in a process a little bit and, and each church, depending on their polity and everything is going to look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality is that every church should have a formal church membership that, in which they can, you know, hold people accountable to and, yeah. and people understand what they're signing up for. The difficulty is I even have some people in my church that have been part of our church for an active part of our church, uh, but they just don't want to become formal church members. And we're not going to say, well, if you're not going to you know, sign up, then get lost. But how we interact with them or even some of the things that they're allowed to do can be limited. Do you guys uh, practice open communion? To an extent. Uh-huh. Uh, although it's been a while since I've done it from time to time, when we serve communion, we say, um, if you're, if you do, this is open to those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and savior. If you do not, um, believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and savior, we would ask that you refrain, Mm -hmm. um, for we do not want, because taking communion is professing Jesus Christ as Lord. And we don't want you to profess something you don't believe. And so in, during this time, we instead encourage you to open yeah, up. Yeah, that's how we do, too. I, I, yeah, I yeah so we don't limit if it was for members only or not. Yeah, no, we don't do that. I know of one church, I think, in here in Waterville, a Baptist church, that like they'll do communion on the, once a month at their Sunday evening, and it's only available to members to take communion at that service. I think there's some wisdom in that. Um, I, I'm not sold on it, but I think there's some wisdom in that because that's a, a yep. method of, of practicing church discipline. And, and ideally, if you're under church discipline, you would not be partaking in communion, you know. Um, Correct. So I, I'll be honest, most time what I've found when you actually start to practice church discipline or if you attempt to, most people just leave and w- withdraw their membership before you even get far into the process. Cool. Well, yeah. even the term can be so challenging for people because it, church discipline isn't like spanking your kid. Church discipline is more of like it's teaching your child um, so that they're not in need of a spanking. You know, it's it's formative mm-hmm. um, primarily, but sometimes it goes into the um, what's the other term I'm thinking of? Not formative, but, uh, you know, punitive, the other kind of discipline. Punitive. There we go. Yeah, yeah. It's not punitive. Right. Um, not right. Yeah. It, anyway, it's restorative. Mike, it's we're cleaning up. We're cleaning yeah. Up. Yeah, and it should be restorative. Um, so we've got about five more minutes before we get to end. Luke brings up one of the most active members of my church in Gurney, had been there for decades, would not join as a formal member because she viewed it as a pledging allegiance to someone, something other than Christ. Did that person pledge allegiance to America? That'd be my question. Um, I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm pretty sure <laughs> most likely because I'm pretty sure at whatever church Luke is part of at any given time, they, they say the Pledge of Allegiance before worship every Sunday. So I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, my church expects of communion to be members in good standing in their local church, not just our church. That is Nathaniel Bickford's. Church. Now, Nathaniel, I have I have a question about that. So, do do you on communion Sundays or when when you guys do communion, how do you vet that? 
Like I know we, we yeah, have an expectation. Like there, I guess there's a difference between expectation and then like whether or not we we follow up on that expectation. Um, because which because I totally understand and would generally have that expectation as well that they're in good standing with a church, but when it comes to communion Sunday, you know, it's it's kind of difficult to um, unless you have someone come with their communion letter of recommendation uh, to say, hey, I, I can take this this Sunday because whatever church, either this church or another local church. Um, I, I just wonder how that looks practically, or is that not something enforceable? You just make a, a statement that if you're going to partake in this, we have this expectation. I mean, so... Okay. Uh, yeah, up to an individual's conscience. So I would say uh, that's I would say that's probably pretty standard for for many churches, unless it's totally open. I think it wasn't Jonathan. Was it Jonathan Edwards or his father or predecessor that he argued with over? And Jonathan Edwards was for closed communion, and they had like a falling out, or they were kicked out of a church. I can't remember, but there's a early on in Jonathan's ministry. Tenure um, ended at his at his church that he was there for, for a couple of decades, and then he left to go essentially plant a church. I forget in what town, but it was where all the Native Americans were. It was pretty dangerous, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, they make a statement. So, and I think that's the key: is you make you set out the expectation, um, and then it's up to general, genuine, you know, the general. Um, you know, conscience. I, I will say, you know, let's say you have somebody that you've barred, if people even bar, like say someone's in the process of church discipline and they're unrepentant and you say, we don't think you should be taking communion. That's when it gets real awkward mm-hmm. about, you know, depending on how you serve communion, if they try to take it, like <laughs> slap their hand away. No, <laughs> <laughs> Don't touch it. And then no. everyone's looking at you like <laughs> kind of like Nazi in, in Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, Mike, thanks for coming on. Um, so, so Moose membership. Oh my! You, you, why would you end the show, Moose, with a question like that? We're, it, we got to take at least thirty. I have at least one and a couple people actually. One became a member because I asked them to, which I grieves me. But we have a, a longtime couple in our church that don't because they don't think formal church membership per se is biblical in the fact that it's not commanded in Scripture. Um, and no matter how much I try to explain and show that there is some sort of formality in the church structure, I mean, the list of widows, the, you know, how do you, you know, who do you know you're caring for? within the church. There is, does need to be some knowledge of who's part of your church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where it doesn't say thou shalt join a local yeah, church formally, covenantally. Um, it, can, it can be a mess too for your leadership. Like I think of like when I first got to my church and I had, you know, um, man, close to 300 names on my, on my active church membership roster. And I went through and I was like, Hey, so who's this person? Who, oh, I haven't seen them in years. I haven't seen them in years. I'm like, what do you mean we haven't seen them in years? Like, well, they're they're on the active church membership list. I am responsible for their pastoral for their shepherding. And they're like, well, you know, that's just we just didn't 
do anything with the, you know, I'm like, man, this is, this yeah. is insane. Um, and you don't know, like it's take, I'm still two years in and I still like, don't have a full handle on who's, who's, who's part of the church. Who's not part of the church who just attends occasionally. And, you know, I would say don't feel the need necessarily to rush. I mean, through that process, because there's a, I mean, um, there's a whole host of reasons for that. And, you know, and you don't oh, want to yeah. cause offense just to clean up roles. You know, I mean, even you 10 years into our, really. yeah, even, even 10 years into my ministry here, there's still a lot of lack of clarity and people that are on our inactive and, and it's just a process and church membership isn't necessarily something to beat people with, but more of, it's more helpful for the elders and the, the members to, know how we we interact with each other on a on a formal basis you know and so in our, <coughs> our cha- we're going to be changing our constitution and we have an elder covenant we have a church covenant and we say listen if it, you know part of the discipline process is you know we're going to have an inactive list but you can only be inactive for a year and during that year we're reaching out to you trying to figure out what's going on but if you remain inactive after a year then we we are reserving the right to to formalize disconnection. Yeah. Well, Mike, maybe next week we'll talk about church membership. Yeah, and, and listen, if we do that, recognize that they that it's a lot easier said than done, mm. uh, because there's real people you're you're dealing with that have a whole host of views, hearts, and all things. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us, and thanks, Mike, for filling in for Luke as he was suspended this week um, due to his insensitive comments last week. Uh, if you can chastise Luke as much as possible between now and next week, I don't know. Is Luke going to be on next week or are you going to be on next week? Uh, I don't know. I don't think we went that far, but I will uh, plead with Luke to repent uh, and uh, put your, your trust in Jesus Christ, not your um, crazy, crazy viewpoints and language and offensive uh, life ways. Yeah. Next time you're canceled. Luke. No. All right, guys. Hey, just remember, um, if you want a free copy of flowers from Puritan's garden, it is a treasure. It really is from Spurgeon and Manton. Then, um, go to patreon.com forward slash Bible banter, and you will get a free copy sent to you from me. Question in the long term, is it cheaper to just buy the book or jo- join the banter club? Join the banter club. So I won't. So essentially, if you only join for a month, I lose money. Um, <laughs> if you join for more than one month, it evens out. So I'm I'm banking on that. Plus, so you only receive a PDF version of both of my books, and I have a library. No, I'll say, uh, listen, I'm not going to pull any trickeration, man. If you if you only want membership for one month, you get the membership for one month. Just understand that you're taking food out of my kids' uh, kids' mouths. So uh, <laughs> so there's that. But um, we're, I, I wouldn't do this if I didn't. Th- I want more people. And and one of the reasons why I really want people to join the Banter Club is I is I curated a list and I'm adding to it um, every once in a while with good materials that are free. Um, that are free on there. You're just going to be a member. Even at the $3 membership, you can get access to those free PDF resources. Um, Some of my books are free. And then, boom, I'll send you this.
Just don't tell my wife. She doesn't know about this. So up to five people. It's God bless you guys. See you. It is. Invest in your library. Take care, guys. Rebel Inventor. Yeah, yeah, yeah.